This morning's scripture passage uh, is, we'll, we'll begin where we left off uh, last week, uh, starting with Hebrews chapter 12 and reading verses 18 to 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone, I am recovering from a cold uh, or more of a sinus infection. So if I start coughing, um, it's not COVID. I had that like a month ago, so don't worry. And uh, I'm not one of those uh, preachers who spit much, so our splash zone is uh, is very short. So don't worry about that. So this past summer. We went to a, speaking about splash zones, we went to a water park near Ottawa. And while we were there, we, you know, we're looking for a slide to go on. We started off with the wave pool. And uh, a few of us, uh, 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 friends and I, we decided, oh, let's, let's check out one of these slides because the lines were so short. Every other slide, you know, the lines are super long, but this one's really short. So we go, okay, let's go, let's go. So we, we lined up. And while in line, we found out very quickly why this one was the shortest. Because it was the scariest ride, right? It's, it's one of those rides, you know, where, where the floor just comes out of you and you just drop into death, right? It's one of those. 
So anyway, so we're waiting in line, and you know, we're getting closer and closer, and we see people going down, and, and I see grown men who are a lot bigger than me chickening out, right, and, and, and leaving, and I'm like, ah, it's not that bad, right? It'll be fine. But you know, the longer we, you wait and the longer you see other people going down and screaming, the more it starts to kind of, oh, I wonder if this ride is actually scary. So anyway, so I go and, you know, it's like a little caps, it's like a capsule thing, right? You go into like a little coffin, really, <laughs> right? They put you into a coffin. And the operator, what he was doing was he's playing with the people, right? So he's doing, there's an automated three, two, one countdown. And then you're supposed to, they're supposed to drop you. But he would replay it over and over again. Right? It's three, two, three, two, right? And then, and then sometimes he'll just open the coffin and close it a bunch of times and then just drop you when you're not ready, right? So that's the whole thing, right? So I'm like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. So I go in, and sure enough, he's doing this whole countdown stuff and fooling around with us. I'm just like, just drop me. Like, you know, I just want to get it over with. And, and so finally, out of nowhere, he does. And I've been on roller coaster rides. I've been on Behemoth and Leviathan and all these rides. But this was the first time in my adult life where I was so scared that words, unholy words, came out of my mouth. <laughs> words that a holy religious leader should not say. And, and, like, yeah, involuntarily it came out of my mouth, right? And, and then, you know, it ended very quickly. And when I got off the ride, me and my friend, we looked at each other and we were shaking. Like, we were literally shaking. And I was like, you know, I just started, like, saying words that I shouldn't say. It's like, me too, right? <laughs> and, and we were, yeah, very scared. So... I was so scared that I was shaken up physically, and I was, I was trembling, and even afterwards, you know, all that adrenaline, right? It's like pumping through your veins, and it takes you a while to kind of come back down. And we vowed we would never do that again. Once was enough. And here we see the preacher of Hebrews referring to a story similar to my experience, to a place where there was so much fear to the point where this place couldn't be touched, where it was burning with fire, where there was darkness, gloom, and storm, where when they heard the voice, they were so afraid that they begged Moses to not stop or to stop speaking, for this voice to stop speaking, where even their great prophet Moses trembled with fear. The preacher is referring to Mount Sinai and of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant as he has done throughout the letter of Hebrews. And compares that experience of that mountain to the new mountain, Mount Zion. Whereas Mount Sinai was a mountain of fear, Mount Zion is a mountain of joy. The new mountain where God dwells, where the, the new mountain that represents the new covenant fulfilled in Jesus is a mountain of joy, praise, grace, and worship. And the preacher contrasts between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion with these themes and images. On Mount Sinai, we see this, there's like a seven, it's, it's a very poetic kind of thing, which I'm not a poet, so I'm not great with that, but it has this rhythm where on Mount Sinai, there are seven things, a mountain that cannot be touched, that is burning with fire, there's darkness, gloom, storm, 
trumpet blasts, voice speaking words that instill fear. Whereas on Mount Zion, it was a heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, where thousands upon thousands of angels are in joyful assembly. The church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, dwell there. God is the judge of all people, but through the spirits of the righteous, uh, the spirits of the righteous are made perfect there. And Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant, sprinkled with blood that speaks a better word or voice than the blood of Abel. What the preacher is wanting to do here is to encourage his listeners and to remind them of which covenant they are part of and which one they're not part of. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain, Mount Sinai, that, that cannot be touched or that can be touched and that is burning with fire. But instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The listeners have not come to Mount Sion, Sinai, sorry, but rather have come to Mount Zion. Mount Sinai, again, was a place of fear, dread, where sin separated uh, the people from God, where people were afraid to hear the very voice of God, and where a sacrificial system could never accomplish or cleanse us to full union with God. Mount Zion is a place of joy and celebration of angels and of God's people, where they where, where there we are made perfect, where now we can hear the voice of God, which unlike Abel's blood that cried out for justice and revenge, the blood of Christ speaks words of forgiveness, grace, and love. After our experience with that water slide, my friend and I agreed on the same thing. Like we were happy and glad that we tried it, but that's it, we'll never do it again. It's something that we do not need to experience again. That kind of fear and fright is not good for these old bones. We know that having, you know, a right amount of fear is good for us. And, you know, with the whole fight and flight, um, what do you call it? Response, Response right? It's, it's built into us for survival. We're given that so that we could, when we are scared, when there's something that's unsafe, our body responds with fight or flight. And usually, you know, I, I, I flight more than fight, but right? So we, we flight away from things that scare us, like spiders and water slides and things of that nature. But if we want to live free, we need to live by love. If we live in fear, we are enslaved and trapped by fear. And the point that I want us to take away from today's passage is that we are called to live in love and not in fear. Some of you may be asking about passages. What about those passages where it says, you know, we are to fear God? That, that God is, that kind of fear, you know, isn't a, a fear of being scared of God, though. When, when the Bible talks about fear and when we fear God, it's, it's a sense of reverence and, and all of God rather than being terrified of God. Even though there are many uh, instances in the Bible where we see that, where we see people encounter God and they're afraid. Isaiah says, woe is me when he is in God's presence. And what does God do? He, he sends, it was an angel, sends a, a coal and, and then cleanses him and makes him 
um, clean, as it were, so that he can approach God, so that he can be in God's presence. Think about it. What happens when we are scared? We know this, right? When we're scared, fear causes us to run away, to shrink, to back away from the thing that we're scared of. Do you think God wants us to be scared of him? That wouldn't make sense because then we would draw away from God instead of drawing closer to God. Love instead is what connects us. We know that when we are in love with, with someone, when we show love to somebody, we build stronger bonds, stronger connections. And because of that, God is a God of love and therefore wants to draw us closer to him instead of away from him. But then why do we live as if we've come to or live in the mountain of Sinai when we are called to live in the mountain, in the mountain of Zion? We know that fear is also a very strong motivator. And in the past, we as Christians have used fear as a way to convert people. You know, the whole turn or burn evangelism. I myself have grown up in that kind of uh, context, experienced this kind of tactic in my own church. I was told that God hated sin and could not stand sin and that I was a worthless sinner. And that the only way I wasn't going to spend all eternity in hell is to accept Jesus, right? And so you do. You do the sinner's prayer because you, when you die, you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. Even now, I overhear this kind of speech from our children and youth sometimes. Why do, we, why do we need to scare people to believe in Jesus? I get it. It's a strong motiva- motivator. I mean, we get worked up over the possibility of running out of toilet paper. Although for some of us, that would be like going to hell, right? But, uh, but I believe that our desire to convert people have pointed people to Mount Sinai rather than Mount Zion. God is not a God of fear. God is a God of love. 1 John 4, chapter 4, 16 to 19, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries up fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. How often do we live our lives afraid of receiving punishment from from, for, our God, for our sins, from our God. We live as though God is out to get us, that we need to be on our tippy toes and making sure we don't make any mistakes. To live in fear of punishment is to live in slavery. I was looking up fear as a motivator online, and everyone seems to agree that fear is a powerful motivator, yet to be motivated by fear is to live in a state of survival. It is to live in that fight and flight, flight mode where we try to, be, try to disconnect and move away from the thing that causes fear instead of towards it. Fear can be a great motivator, but it's a way to control and dominate and to enslave, not a way of human flourishing. Well, an example of this kind of feeling trapped and enslaved in fear is at work. 
You can scare your, your coworkers or your subservient, or subservient, your, your, not your underlings. There's a better word than that. Sure, yes, subordinates, right? Yeah, right? You could scare them to do their job better, such as you can tell them, if you don't do your job better, you could get fired and you won't get a promotion. Yes, and this will help the individual try harder, but it will only result in, in, in production and having your employee live in this like survival mode. Instead, if we can encourage and inspire our people out of love, what they're passionate about, then the work can work out of joy and out of freedom. They can be creative and be more productive because they're not in survival mode, but rather in a mode of flourishing. Another uh, example that came to mind is in a marriage. I've never had this problem in my marriage, but I've heard that this is common. But as an example, just imagine with me that I do the dishes or other housework because I'm scared or fearful that my spouse would get mad at me. I will do it because I don't want her to get mad, but that only enslaves me to do the task out of fear. Just I don't want that kind of, you know, animosity, right? And I may become resentful or only do what I have to do, just do the minimum, the bare minimum, so that she won't get mad. But what if I saw my household duties as a way to show my love for my wife? What if I did it because I know it will help her to feel better? Then this, doing this then becomes a way of love. Maybe I would clean up even more. <laughs> I just realized like I'm setting myself up to be like a clean freak. But, and this is why it's not a great analogy. It's not the best analogy, but you know, but you know what I mean, right? In a similar way, we're not people who are to live in fear. Fear only traps and enslaves us. It doesn't free us. It just makes us more resentful. It is only love that frees us. And that is why following God and loving him above all others and things leads to freedom, joy, and a life of human flourishing. Did you know one of the most common phrases in the Bible is, do not be afraid? or a variation of it. There's about 144 instances throughout Scripture where God says to his people, do not be afraid. We do not live in the house of fear, but rather in the house of love. And isn't that what Mount Zion is? Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Mount Zion is the city of the living God. This is where God dwells. God is not a distant God. God isn't a God we can't touch. God is a God who has come to be with us in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, which means God with us, is Jesus, God made in human flesh. God has made known to us that God is not distant, angry, or a scary God, but rather God is a God who is with us, who has loved us first, who has come and died for us so that we can receive forgiveness and redemption. God has chosen to be with us so that we can commune and be with him. He wants to live in us. It's not just like I have to, like, oh, man, these sinners. I'll just be with them because I have to. No, he desires, he longs to be with us and make his home in us so that we can make our home in him. 
and Henry Nouwen, you know, I'm, I'm a Nouwenite, right, believes that one of the key movements in our spiritual lives is to move from the house of fear to the house of love. He writes that we're so afraid of so many things, whether it's the fear of our lives, our careers, how we're going to pay our bills, fear of what someone thinks of us, fear of being rejected, the fear of missing out, fear for our children. It is so easy for us to live in the house of fear. The challenge is recognizing this for ourselves, that we do live out of the house of fear, and to recognize that God is not there. God is, at, God is in the place of love. And he writes this, is not a one-time thing. It's not just recognizing it once, but rather it's a lifelong journey where we need to constantly remind ourselves and choose to accept the voice of God that says good things about us. This is what it means to pray, is to get to a place in our prayers where we can be, get beyond all of the things we need God to do things for us. Right? I don't know if you ever prayed and you have a list of things, God, you know, I need help with this, I need help with that, you know. And, you know, those are all good things. But that's not where prayer needs to stop. Prayer needs to get beyond the place of our worries and of our anxieties, where we offer those things up to God, where we don't have anything else to say to God anymore, and then we listen. And when we listen, God has good things to say about us. And that's what we need to do. And what God wants to say to each and every one of you is that you are his beloved sons and daughters. That is who you are. And let me just read you a quote by him. He says, do not be afraid, but this is now and have no fear is the voice we most need to hear. This voice was heard by Zechariah when Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, appeared to him in the temple and told him that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. This voice was heard by Mary when the same angel entered her house in Nazareth and announced that she would conceive, bear a child, and name him Jesus. This voice was also heard by the woman who came to the tomb and saw that the stone was rolled away. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The voice uttering these words sounds all throughout history as the voice of God's messengers, be they angels or saints. It is the voice that announces a whole new way of being, a being in the house of love, the house of the Lord. The house of love is not simply a place in the afterlife, a place in heaven beyond this world. Jesus offers us this house right now in the midst of our anxious world. I want to lead us in a time of prayer, so why don't we spend some time praying? Let's pray. And I want to start with a question for us to reflect on. What are you afraid of? What is it that you fear? Take some time to name them and consider why you are afraid.
Now I uh, want you to imagine that Jesus is with you, whether he's sitting beside you, sitting across from you, giving you a hug, and he's saying to you, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and be with you. What are you feeling? Are you able to let go of your fears? What is holding you back from trusting in Jesus? Spend some time in prayer asking God how you might live in the house of love instead of the house of fear. God is love. When we take a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free to of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. So let us love because he first loved us. And let us live in the house of love because he is love. Amen.